Welcome to the EMS Handout, your source for all things EMS. And now, let's welcome to the show your hosts, Bradley Dean, Eric McCullough, and David Blevins. Hello and welcome back to the EMS Handoff Podcast. It's David along with my co-host, Eric McCullough and Bradley Dean, who are not here with us this time. We would like to welcome you back to the podcast. We are your source for all things EMS. We are broadcasting this time like we did last year from the Tennessee EMS Education Association Conference. And we're starting off with the president of the organization. So welcome, Shannon. Thank Shannon you. Morphis is the president of the uh, TIMSA organization and her first conference in planning. So tell us what is TIMSA and what is it about? Tennessee EMS um, Education Association, we have been around since 1988, and we are an organization that promotes education in EMS, not just EMS education, but moving the best education into our EMS services, our EMS classes, um, both the initial credentialing and the ongoing um, credentialing, and we're here having our conference like we have had for many years to renew our instructor coordinator for the state, um, which we have to do each year. We are, we are giving some great education over the next, um, well, for the last three days. And um, we are excited to be here on the 50th anniversary of EMS in Tennessee. We got a little ahead of me right there. I'm so sorry. go ahead, go ahead. Sorry. Go in there next. This is a, a great year uh, yes. for EMS. So uh, kicked off yesterday, had some special guests here. Yes. But the key thing with that is, is because mm-hmm. this is the 50th anniversary. So, yes. you know, in healthcare, everybody thinks it's been around forever, but we are kind of the uh, younger brother or sister of the profession. We are. So, 50 years is, is a big deal, so. It is a big deal, and we, uh, we have, throughout this, this 50th year, have celebrated that at every conference. Um, several, several different organizations have been uh, celebrating that. We have a 50th anniversary challenge coin that we have given all of our speakers and participants this year just to commemorate that because we are very, very proud of that. We are, uh, as you mentioned, we're very young in the healthcare profession. However, 50 years, that's a big deal. And we have come so far in 50 years and making such large strides that we want to celebrate that. And uh, with that, just uh, just got done with our annual awards uh, banquet. Uh, there's a couple of names, but one of the key things is at the same time we're hitting 50 years, we also had one of our educators has been around for four days. One of the earliest educators in there celebrating 40 years. That's uh, it's an awesome feat to attain. Yes, yes. Um, Charlene Edwards, I'll go ahead and, and plug her name. She has been an educator for 40 years, has done uh, so many classes for so many different providers. And so, yeah, to be able to celebrate someone that has been been in our industry almost from the beginning is is a huge milestone and to take a look you know uh, i think 35 30 was the only one we did we had 35 yes. 25 yes. 20 and then to see some of the new providers as well you know anytime we're talking about 50 years just to see that 
uh, go around. So I did want to name a couple of these. So uh, you know, uh, throughout there you had some. We've got some good awards. One of them is a Brian Cox Mentor Award. Yes. I'm going to bring that one up first, being a okay. Knoxville firefighter and, right. and Chief Cox coming from there. You know, that's one of the things that this profession is about, and wow. is is mentorship. Yes. You know, as educators, our goal is to get that knowledge into individuals, but. Uh, partnering with or finding that passion within somebody is a, a big thing. So what does something like that, the, the mentor award, what does that mean? Uh, it, emergency medical systems um, and emergency medical services is, is special and it's special for a lot of reasons but it's also a very, we're a tough crowd I like to say. So the fact that we, we celebrate having a mentor, not only is it a celebration of, of our mentors, but our mentors are so needed in our growth, in our education, in our um, profession. Without our mentors and without um, the people that are leading us in the right direction, um, a lot of us wouldn't still be here. So we, we like to celebrate that with, with Chief Cox's memory. And, uh not only that, good friend uh, won that. I'm going to plug Jonathan Wood. He passed by here just a minute ago. <laughs> he did, he did. Uh, so we're not going to uh, keep uh, uh, keep you much longer, but uh, a lot of educators here. About how many people do we end up here with this um, year? We have a little bit, a few more than 320 this year, um, which is, is pretty good. We're aiming for 400 next year. Um, because we have a couple of things coming down the pike that will be brand new next year and we're very excited about, but that's going to be the tease for your viewers um, and they have to wait for that. But we are very excited and very um, appreciative for everybody that was at this conference. Well, that's a good pitch because where I was going next, because it has Tennessee in the name, yes. doesn't mean it's just for Tennesseans, right? Not at all. We, um, in the past years and, and this year also, we have people registered for, from all over the southeast. We have people that come from um, Arkansas, just all the southeast, as well as a couple years ago when we had a virtual component, we had someone coming to us um, from Saudi Arabia. So if you um, like to travel, like Middle Tennessee, and want to come visit us uh, mid-July next year, July 12th through the 14th, 2023, we would love to have you. And so tell everybody how to find more information about all right. Um if you would go to our website, it's T-N-E-M-S-E-A.com. That is our website. We will have, as soon as we have more information on our conference, we will have that up. The dates are already there. Um, you will be able to register for, register for our conference and find a hotel room in the next two months. Um, we will have that up beginning the beginning of April. Excuse me, October. <laughs> wow, it's going to be October. So uh, moving forward, we would love to see you all. And please come introduce yourself and tell me that you saw me on this podcast. She absolutely is, <laughs> is loving that. Uh, so we're going to let her get back. There's a day and a half left. Yes. Uh, make sure and come by and visit. Uh, but we got vendors. We've got uh, plenty of great sessions. Go by and uh, check out all the good content. Thank you, Shannon. Dana, Have a great day. Thank you so much. All right. Hello, and welcome back to the EMS Handoff Podcast. I'm David, and along with my co-hosts that weren't able to be with us, Eric McCullough and Bradley Dean, we are your source for all things EMS. 
Before we get started with Russell and MedCognition, we want to thank our podcast partner, the Journal of Emergency Medical Services. They're a great partner in getting all of our information out. And after our long, unfortunate holiday break, we are back. And we're going to get straight into it. We are coming to you from the Timso, Tennessee EMS Education Association's annual conference. We are celebrating the 50th anniversary of EMS in the state of Tennessee. And when you get to that age in this profession, yeah. you start looking at growing up. And, you know, we are so used to many years ago talking about EMS. We had these plastic mannequins. Sure. We sure. would dump. They would do nothing. Yep. Well, you're changing that. So tell us who you are, tell us who MedCognition yeah, sure. is, and let's go. I appreciate that, sir. So, Russ Unrath, I'm the CEO of MedCognition, and ultimately, the thing we like to say first and foremost is we're not here for your mannequins. Everyone gets scared because mannequins have been the standard, and they'll remain to be the standard for quite some time, but we have created some custom applications called PerSim, which resides in something called the Microsoft HoloLens. So our users will put on these pair of lightweight goggles. You can see through them, so it's not like VR, it's augmented reality. So you're looking at your feet, you're looking at the wall, you're not bumping into barriers. And we use a system of optics and arrays to actually overlay the hologram in an array in the lens and then project it anywhere in the environment we're in. We've got a couple little tablets that help, you know, lifetime uh, vitals monitors. We've got a controller that you actually build the scenarios with. So that's where we feel the future is going. All right, so before we really get too in depth with this, sure. Um, first, you're one of the title sponsors of uh, the conference this year, yeah. providing, uh, we've got over 300 educators here, so this is awesome. They're getting to see you all right in there. But let's go into the technology first. Sure. Uh, I don't want to put a plug in for my other podcast. My wife will absolutely love this. We actually <laughs> nice. discussed uh, augmented uh, virtual and mixed-use realities on our perfect, my wife and I do one, it's called oh, Perfect excellent. Chaos. So, check that one out. Uh, we, you know, so we can get to blend the two here. Uh, but for the EMS world, let's, let's talk a little bit about it. So virtual reality is uh, what a lot of people think when they put on a set of goggles. Like it takes you out of this environment, Correct. places you in a completely different, which is actually for some individuals kind of harmful because their brain doesn't transfer in and out. Right, a lot then of you have, issues. Then you have augmented reality, which we can do on our phones, we can do a lot, we, we animate. Mm -hmm. We take oh, our yeah. current environment. But the, the HoloLens, like you said, it's from Microsoft. It's a set of headsets, or a set, it is a headset. Good, yeah. uh, and it is designed to actually do either. I, I've got a couple of them with my college as well. And they can either change the environment or add. Correct. Yours goes into that add. It's right. that augment. And what it does is takes your blanket mannequin, your, your basic mannequin, so you have that tactile touch, mm -hmm. but now you yeah. make it real. Right. Exactly. So why is this a thing that we need? Yeah, I mean, so for us, it's, it's pretty simple. Our big question is, what does sick look like? And on a mannequin, you just can't see that, right? You get, you get the blue dot, maybe you can witness a birthing, but you're hearing the gears going. So we're trying to build that cognitive pathway where you understand the discoloration of the skin and the subtle changes versus, well, imagine he's not breathing. Imagine he's got, you know, diaphoresis or cyanetic. It's, you get to see those subtlety changes and it creates a different cognitive pathway. So we're looking at making decision makers, right? Not box checkers in the EMS world. So let's, let's talk about one of your scenarios. I, I've had the opportunity to sure. see some of the demo stuff, uh, but uh, one of yours is an individual with uh, just chest pain. Right. You know, lying supine, he's out. Yeah. You set this up by placing markers. Right. So it knows where your mannequin is, right? Correct, yeah. Uh, and then let's go into that scenario just a little bit. So what what do the users end up saying? We don't, uh, if we could put a, a hologram right here, this is what you would see. Right, yeah, so you so, get, get the individual supine, and I'm, I'm medical, so just you know, bear with me here. But 
You place in them four anatomical landmarkers. It lays over any mannequin, like even a crinkled up fire hose with a t-shirt, by the way. And we've got some good pictures of that we can share with you at some time. But they're witnessing, they're witnessing now the different subtle, like subtle changes. They're able to run a dynamic 12 lead EKG. It changes, you can manipulate that every time. So again, your students are calling out to the instructor who's holding a controller tablet. And that instructor is doing one of two things. They're either pressing play and animating that scenario, or they are physically tapping buttons on a monitor to change the patient in the different presentations so that the learners are now getting tripped up, seeing different T&P waves, I mean, all the things that you want them to be confused with so they're making better decisions for the patient care and safety. And not only that, but it's coupling sounds of the patients. Like, oh, oh, yeah. You know, I you, appreciate you bringing you that hear, up. Uh, you know, so we're talking about more of that immersive environment. Absolutely, you know, yes. Uh, we have, not to cut you off, holographic procedures. So when the lens is on your head, you call out the word exam and auscultation, and a bell pops up. The patient will, in most conditions, in most conditions, sit themselves up, and now you're moving that stethoscope in air, and you're hearing 14 different points of auscultation at this point in time. So heart wheezing, crackling lungs, and they're able to make you know a decision to determine what treatment to do next. So now, now they're actually being able to turn to the patient, correct, and use that as that versus I'm going to listen for breath sounds. Put my stethoscope up and you turn and look at the instructor because... Right, what's the breath sound? What the breath sound looks like. Yeah, so they're, they're hearing like. that in real time. It's coming through 3D audio in the HoloLens. So if your learner is behind, you're going to get a different sound than if you're in front of the patient or to the side of the patient. Uh, we have a number of responses that the patient will give us by the tap of a button. But the one nice thing we've done in the controller is a little live speech button. So you can have the instructor in a different room and speaking through the hologram and really tripping up the students, which ultimately, you know, creates better decision makers. One would make this an obvious statement, but I'm assuming you have medical trauma scenarios, you have in the different age populations as Correct. well, right? Correct, absolutely, so. yes. So it is baby all the way to geriatric. Uh, it's male and female for both, pregnant and female. We are currently animating the actual birthing, which will be 90 to 120 days from now, which is pretty exciting. So you get 18 different patients baked into the system, and we have multiple ethnicities as well. So it's not just that standard, what, 220-pound white male mannequin. Right. And, yeah. and and the good thing is, as you mentioned, you've got those multiple points and then go over mannequins. So Correct. You don't have just a, an adult mannequin you have to sit out there. You can, if you're doing right. the infant scenarios. Put it on a baby. Put it on a baby. School-aged child. And the, the idea behind that is, again, that immersive environment, you, you've got the, sa the sights and sounds, but you have the tactile feel as well. You right. know, you're Absolutely. not just this random thing, which is some of the uh, initial augmented or virtual environments you, you just touch or you have controllers you have to now you can lay your hand down you can palpate where an right, IV would go yeah you're still getting the go. feel through the hologram but you're getting the realism of the change in condition change in presentations so uh, what is one of your most unique applications of this so far so this has been around for a couple of years yeah about six now um, and so uh, where where are we seeing the market penetration with yeah oh, I'd, I'd love to answer that question so mostly we're getting community colleges with paramedicine programs we're getting what we label internally as rural EMS, but like municipalities with smaller private providers or even some public funded. And we've got now a half a dozen high schools who are using the product that feed into these community college programs. So it's very exciting for us. Uh, that, that's unique. And I, I will tell you, uh, on the, the high school side, we've got, in, in my area, we've got some that are rather advanced and we almost learn from them sometimes. Yes. Uh, so if they wanted to get a hold of Persim through MedCognition, uh, how do they go about reaching yeah. out? So it's pretty simple. They can email sales at medcognition.com 
that's going to feed to myself and two of my reps who are here at the show with me and we'll reach back out and set up either a virtual demo or we're happy to come out in person as well. And then obviously the website medcognition.com, yes, you can go there and get all the information. Um, if you are, uh, we're going to be releasing this while uh, you're still here at the conference, so make sure to go by the vendor area and check out uh, Russell and his team yes. at MedCognition. Thank you all. You're welcome. For Thank you so much for the opportunity. Service. We appreciate Have it. A great day. Oh, you too. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome back to another episode of the EMS Handoff Podcast. I'm David. And for my absent co-host, Eric McCullough and Bradley Dean, they'd like to say hello. But we're going to come back to another one of our guests today, uh, a renowned superstar of EMS within the state of Tennessee. You know, so I've already set that bar high. Well, you should have done that. So, you know, the question is, do we limbo or do we try to jump? <laughs> so, uh, this is Brent Dyer from Sumner County EMS. Sumner EMS. So, tell us who you are. I've already said where you come from. Yep, so. Yep, yep. so, we do. We work up there, Sumner County, just north of Nashville. Uh, Brent Dyer, affectionately known. Everybody in EMS has got a nickname. Everybody. You know? So, Chubby Love. You know, there's a long story where that comes from. I'm sure. It'll be a good one to tell someday. <laughs> someday. Someday. <laughs> Maybe not for everybody, yeah, but right, you, right. Never, you never know. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, man. All right. Yeah, that's, that's what we do. Well, as we do this, we like to get some of the speakers uh, throughout. Yeah. So you've actually had a breakout session and a pre-conference. We did. We so did. we're not going to replicate your breakout because we're okay. not dropping any mics. All right. Okay. Yeah, this stuff I, looks expensive. I, I, I got to yeah. pay for those. So, uh, I'll send you a bill if you might drop right. But Don't you can drop some mics because we're actually getting ready talk about a topic that probably everywhere in the country really needs to get into. So oh, gosh, we're going to talk about the National Registry Advanced EMT Testing. All right. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So as we take a look at that test in comparison to EMT and even paramedic, it seems to be one of the most difficult for students to comprehend. So first off, what brought your interest to helping people with this? Well, that's awesome. You know, Spoke at a lot of conferences, leadership, uh, that's my favorite topic, leadership and pediatrics. But as far as uh, getting involved, and we've yet to ever charge a dime for this, but helping people find success with the National Registry tests is, I remember having to take that for my fourth time. Now, back, we didn't have AEMT. Uh, it was something different here in Tennessee. <laughs> but uh, I'm talking paramedic tests. And I remember feeling so downtrodden and so just, you know, a lot of bad emotions, you know, you, you feel like failure, you know, and then nobody in this business is getting rich, especially in your entry level years. Right. Um, blessed now to be in some better positions with a lot of years of hard work. But back then, I remember, you know, you got to make sure that you can still pay your electric bill, you know. Uh, and your rent or your house payment or whatever, and then be able to afford to retest that mark. And there are a lot of people that show up to us needing help. And one of the reasons, one of the things they're struggling over is some financial struggles because they're being dimed and dollar to death. They're, they're in the beginning of their career. Right. They're not well established a lot of times just yet. And all that being said is... Uh, so they may have that as a worry or what I call a fear. Right. And, uh, you know, fears like love. Uh, I tell people in these classes, I'm like, anybody in here ever been in love? You know, kind of laugh, <laughs> you know, and I'm like, 
Well, at one point in your life, when you were in love, did it make you do something silly? And then a lot of hands go up, you know? Well then, uh, long story short, I tell them, fear is as powerful as an emotion is love. And fear can cost you like half of your cognitive ability. So they're going to take a cognitive exam while experiencing fear. It's the fear of failure, the fear of maybe being judged by colleagues or family or whoever else. All right. And then, but with this, uh, there's, you know, they, they, they show up and they, one of, the, one of the things we do that I think helps people the most when they'll come to one of our uh, cognitive exam preps is uh, we try to uplift their emotions a little bit, you know? So the first little piece of a day of that type of training is leadership mindset. And we try to build their spirit up, raise them up a little bit. I don't ever like to say I want to step down to their level to try to explain something to them. I don't want to do that. I want to reach down and grab hold of them and lift them up to mine. And uh, so we do that and, uh, and then move into some of the material. But like I say, the reason we do that is because we've been there. And I remember, and I remember having to drive from one end of our state to the other to take a refresher. And on the way back, having to pull over and try to look through my vehicle and find just a few extra bucks. Thankfully, I found a couple extra bucks and some uniform pants, you know? Right. Just to have enough gas to get home and pick right. up my paycheck. And uh, so I think about that now and how blessed I am nowadays. So I, I just feel it's important to give it back. Well, I think I think one of the things, and in, in right there, just the vulnerability in you talking about your situation in there, uh, because... This is not something new, because I'll reveal myself, and I'm not the only one. I failed mine as well, yeah. uh, paramedic as well. We're talking been a program group. And I've been a program. Yeah. You know, when I, when I first did this, you know, we passed over, I don't know when you took yours, but I passed, we paid pen and paper. So, so you, <laughs> the question was, did you get the big envelope or the little envelope? I still have and, the envelopes on my desk, and, and I shared it with students. And, uh, you know, you know so... Yeah. All of them were like, I got the big envelope, I got the big envelope, oh, yeah. and I got home and I got, yeah. I got this. Four times. I got the small. Got I, yeah. Luckily, mine was it was one, yeah. but I got the small envelope. We looked past, if yeah. you would take, I had a passing score overall, failed, failed the airway by one oh, question. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and it was, it, and you just take that, yeah. and then five others in our class, <laughs> some of the top of the class. And, oh. right, so, I love, one, that that vulnerability is safe. I understand, like, yeah. that sucks. Uh, you know, I don't know that there's any way to put that. And, and I like to tell people too is, the number of times you had to take your test, some people may argue different, but at the end of the day, it necessarily, failure never defines you. First attempt in learning. Yes, exactly. First attempt in learning. It. Failure does not define you. Failure is not permanent. For all intents and purposes, <laughs> I think that, you know, failure, failing this test does not necessarily predict what your future is going to be in this business. The, the, I love the commentary you hear. What is a what do you call a doctor that makes a seventy? A doctor. A doctor, That's right? Exactly and actually, right. believe it or not, some of the best uh, that are out there because they they are caring, compassionate. They, At one they point, have that they had to flip a switch and get serious about it. And when they did, they became awesome. Right. That's what we try to do. And ultimately, so. It, it, I love the mindset component first because I think that's absolutely something we have to look at. I talk a lot when I, you know, I'm mentoring some of them right now, 
And one of the things I said, your mindset going into the test, are you going to go in with that mindset that I'm going to fail again? Mm -hmm. Or am I going to go into that mindset that I'm going to pass and then back up or backwards from that and say, okay, not only am I going to pass this test, but I'm going to be the best studying and prepping for that yeah. as going in. I, I use the analogy of Kobe Bryant. He talks, uh, uh, it's not, not necessarily Kobe Bryant, Kobe Bryant himself, but somebody was going to go play against Kobe Bryant. Right. His coach said, I'm going to put you on Kobe, you're going to be guarding him. And he's like, so I'm going to go into the gym. We were at their facility. I was going to go into the gym, get some shots in because I was, I was playing Kobe. So I get there. And he, he's like, I get there, and Kobe is already in the gym working out. So he's like, I'm going to get my shots in. I'm like, 30 minutes. Kobe's not going to be there that long. Kobe's there. And so I'm going to go longer. He went longer. Finally, he said, I, I got to go rest up and get ready for the game. So after the game, he's like, why were you there so long? The, the guy asked Kobe, he goes, because I, I knew I was going to guard you. And he was going to always outwork. He had the mindset that he was going to prep. But that was in practice. That wasn't in the game. He knew he was going in the game. He'd already taken that shot. So I love the mindset component. Yeah. So you've been doing this for a little while. That's your the eighth year. Yeah. Uh, uh, and as we take a look at these students, what's some of the things as far as the areas of concern when it comes to the testing itself? Uh, that that is the bigger issue. Some of that, we start off, uh, like I say, we go through our mind. One of the biggest concepts that I share with people is that uh, you know, only about less than 1% of people who challenge one of these cognitive exams run out of time. They got to start, they got to stop rushing. And I tell them, be patient with yourself. If you're going to fail a test, fail because you ran out of time. Right. Don't fail because you rushed, felt pressure, overlooked a key word in the stem, you know, uh, or possibly a key word and a distractor that made you think it was the key to unlock the stem. So, uh, so we'll go from there. And uh, there's a couple other key points. We talk about, uh, you know, looking at address. Is this a question about a scene or a situation? Or is this a question about a patient? On the AEMT test and the paramedic test, it seems as if most patient questions are a higher acuity. So a lot of the key findings and key interventions that need to be done lie in the uh, primary assessment. So we focus on a quick review of primary assessment in a uh, kind of a realistic sense. It's very timely. And uh, we'll go from there. So we some of those, uh, we come out of some of those uh, concepts and ideas, and then we introduce them into what a, what has proven to be a very, very, very useful tool. And if we got somebody out there that's an EMS educator and they don't know about it, it is a public document. It is not something that's you're not supposed to give to people. The National Registry uh, has this on their website as a resource. Folks oftentimes don't know that a resource exists. And it's the NCCP model, that was the National Core Competency Program. They actually, so if you click on there and uh, go to cognitive exams, scroll down to the bottom, and then where it says NCCP or recertification, whatever, you click that, scroll back, back down to the bottom again, and you can download the EMR, the EMT Basic, the AMT, the Paramedic, 
then it takes the educator, or even the student, who wants to really know what I need to be studying, it links them over to this document in an outline format. And it covers airway, oxygenation, you know, respiration, ventilation, what, that part, the cardiology, you know, the medical, the trauma, and the operations. And it literally hits the highest points of all of the five of those sections. And I tell people, when you're studying, hit these high notes. You're not trying to make a perfect score. Yeah, yeah. So on that NCCP document, you know, again, for whatever level of license you're teaching or studying for on your own, it breaks it all down in those five sections. It's a really good tool. See, I tell people, you know, no, we're not trying to make a 100. We talked about that. I tell them, don't seek perfection. If you're seeking perfection, you're going to die tired. Right, very much. <laughs> so very seek much. progress, not perfection. So we hit on that. And then there's a couple key areas, not just students. I use this with the students, but it's also great for educators too. So for an EMS educator, I think it's really important. The word triage, when it comes to preparing people for the registry test, it's in two different categories of your five categories that they have to pass. You know, you got uh, triage, that word is seen in operations, and the word triage is seen in trauma. And, and Operations, triage is going to be uh, mass casualty. Right. Start, jump start, and all this. But uh, also, if you see when tri we talk about triage and trauma, talking about the majority of what that is, that's one single patient. And they, got, they, they don't understand that that's prioritizing. Yeah. Prioritizing the destination. Yes. Yep. The 2011 CDC yep. destination guidelines. Now those, and so then it's important for the students and the educators to know they really need to emphasize those four categories, you know, that's in that document. And because uh, that, right, that alone could be a trauma question. Right. You know, and uh, you know as well as I do, it only takes one or two questions, right or wrong, in each section, fail or pass. Yeah. So these are just some of the things that we have discovered. This is all discoveries, you know. And uh, we try to share it. Anything in your hand is going to share and maybe help people. That's what we've been trying to do. And uh, to, uh, this pre con here that we did at the 2022 TIMSA conference, it was uh, the second time we have tried to just dump that in the laps of other educators. Well, so, you know, I, I think there's a lot to that uh, you know obviously we want them to pass on the first time we want to yeah. die we know that there's going to be stuff but there's a lot of, exactly then then you don't have a class you freed yeah. up a little bit yeah but uh thank you for everything you've been doing absolutely. if they wanted to get a hold of you how do they get a hold of yeah, you yeah absolutely uh it's uh b dyer so brent dyer is my name so b d y e r at sumner s-u-m-n-e-r-e-m-s.org got some youtube videos out there got social media and uh, be glad to reach out. I'm also, we don't make this stuff proprietary. We just try to share what we have. We don't share anything as copyright or anything. You know, we point people to those resources. But yeah, anything we can do to help anybody out there, we're willing to. Well, thank you for your service and, so and everything you're wrote, doing. And sir, keep doing the good work. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the EMS Handoff Podcast. I'm David and for my co-host Eric McCullough and Bradley Dean who aren't able to be here today, we'd like to welcome you back to the podcast. We are coming 
to you from the Tennessee EMS Education Association's day two, celebrating 50th anniversary. We're bringing John. John's uh, Hi, everybody. Uh, been a staple here right now. Yeah. So, you know, what are you going to do then just bring an ambulance, park it right in the middle of That's the That's right. You know, you so, uh, so tell us who are you, where are you from, and... Okay. My name is John Scullin. I've been an EMS 33 years this year, and uh, I currently work for EEP, or an ambulance dealer, and I'm on the National EMS Museum Board. So uh, on the board, I serve as the, the counterpart for the Packard, uh, our 1954 Henny Packard Junior Ambulance. Uh, we recently acquired it, had some minor mechanical work done to get it back to running condition. It does run and drive. Uh, we had that done in Columbia, Tennessee. So uh, the rebirth of the pack has been really around Tennessee EMS. The first place we showed it to the public was the TASA show, uh, and the second place we're showing it is the Tennessee show. So we're just excited to be here, and both were their 50th anniversaries, which is awesome. Well, for, first off, it was actually kind of interesting uh, that uh, you do say it's in operating condition. So yeah. we did have the opportunity to have the governor here yesterday. That's and, right. And one of the things I said is we could put him in the ambulance and take him to the next. Yeah. Uh, he did take to the comfort of his vehicle, but uh, you know, it's, he was very interested in uh, the condition and all that. So it was, it was great to see. So uh, you mentioned the National EMS uh, uh, Museum. That's correct. So tell us a little bit about it and, and where is it and uh, what is it basically? That's the most common question I get, so that's perfect. So the National EMS Museum uh, is a 501c3 organization. It's been around for many years. Forgive me for not knowing the origin year. But as like any other 501c3 or state association, it's gone through several different phases. Um, about four or five years ago, we started to get uh, members that left, and we replaced them with more people that had business experience. Uh, our current director, Christy Van Hoven, is actually a museum curator by trade. Um, and the second part of that is we don't have a brick and mortar location. Uh, over the years, uh, as you know, fire departments, gosh, there's 400 fire museums. Right. EMS has always had a challenge with history and with uh, philanthropy and donation. Um, so what we're doing is trying to get the word out that the museum exists as an organization and that we're trying to bring all these curated collections to people. Uh, if this was 20 years ago, I'd say we'd love to have a brick and mortar building. Nowadays, I'm kind of glad we don't because we're able to do things like bring the Packard. Uh, we also do have displays that are hosted by museums throughout the country. We recently did a history of EMS presentation in Atlanta at a museum. Uh, there are other museums throughout the country that will contact and say, can you put up a temporary exhibit? Uh, I don't have, again, the list in front of me, but you can find everything you need to know at emsmuseum.org. So it's our it, official site. That, great, we'll make sure that's in the show notes so everybody can get a hold of that. Okay. Uh, so tell, you know, if, if an individual like me wanted to get involved, with the museum, I help support it and expand it. What's what's kind of opportunities are available? Well, we have tons of membership levels on the website. Uh, I'll just get two of the basic ones. Uh, and you, oh, you got a sheet right here. So hey, that's great. So this is uh, for twenty dollars. You know, anyone can join. So you can join online at emsmuseum.org forward slash membership. And uh, these are the actually the. Uh, the team rates. So for as an individual, you can join for $20. We'll send you a coin in the mail, you'll get our email blasts, and we have a new magazine that started this year called the EMS Historian, and we're on our second volume going to production now. So as part of your membership, you'll receive that magazine. Uh, if you're 
service wants to join, uh, you can join by number of vehicles uh, and then just like you would join any other association. So if your average service has four, four ambulances in service, it's only $250 a year. And then you get a team membership, you get the newsletter again, the magazine, all those things. And then uh, the one that's near and dear to my heart is Club 51. Uh, of course, we know not everybody can donate at that level, but we're, we're asking some folks that are interested in history to help. And that's a $51 per month donation, plus the PayPal servicing fee. It's about 53 Everybody's charging a service fee now. So it's about $53 a month, a little over $600 a year. And at that level, you become uh, a more sustaining member. You're more interested in what's going on. You get a few more emails. Uh, and you're just showing that you're really back EMS history in the United States. So most of our funding comes from just these individual memberships. And more importantly, if you're listening and you were a member, come back. Uh, because, like I said in the beginning, there are some things that the organization had done in the past, people left. But we've got a whole fresh new perspective and we're really excited about it. So this is going to sound a dumb question, but I'm no. going to ask because I, as an individual that likes history, why EMS history? Why does it why does it matter? Why are we putting it in a museum? Well, you know, that's a great question. And we have some banners that we set up about the, the progression of patient care, the progression of the ambulance, and the board looks at it as a whole. Everything from EMS docs and ERs all the way down to the street level. And what I found is, being a medic 33 years, just people you're precepting 10 years ago, they don't know what mass pants are. They don't know about the old iron lungs. They don't know that the Packards used to be the ambulances before the SNS Cadillacs, which are so popular. Um, you know, things like that. Or you see a lot of those around. You don't see many Packards. You don't see many of the old World War One and Two. So our website is full of information on EMS history. And uh, here at the Educators Conference, we've been encouraging the educators use our website to teach with too. Teach these folks. We teach them how to fill out a form. We teach them how to you know, EMS psych history, we do everything else, but we forget history. And I think that's where the fire service kicks our butt, right? I'm a firefighter too. Um, but the fire has such a long history, 150 years, some of these departments. So I think we're starting to get into the golden age where folks my age and maybe a little older, they're, they're getting, they're retiring and saying, nobody's carrying this on. And I think that's what our current board is dedicated to is making sure people don't forget where we came from well and i think you you made the exact point just a minute ago that with history not a lot of people realize just how far we go because if you look in your career you see something you may see a tweak or change here we we all joke about going from lidocaine to amiodarone or you know small things here or there but when you're talking about the black the 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 lung and all these other different components that were the deal at that point in time and now Nobody sees, nobody hears, unless they watch something about history. So yeah. it's a great uh, great offering that you all are doing. So make Thank sure you. go ahead one more time and give that email sure. or the uh, web address to everybody. It's emsmuseum.org, and it's the National EMS Museum. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We don't have a TikTok. I'm not much of a dancer. <laughs> so we'd like to do that eventually. Uh, but easy to find on Facebook. And then there's also a group on Facebook, Friends of the Museum. Excuse me, if you're more interested in history and just like to interact with people more, you can join that Friends of the EMS Museum, and we would really appreciate it. All right, we'd love to have you all come over and see John at the uh, EMS uh, Memorial, or uh, sorry, Museum. That's okay. If you're still in town, make sure to come by and see the pack. Uh, it's a it's a great shape, uh, sitting right here in the lobby. Uh, and uh, we just absolutely love to have you come by. Thank you for everything you're doing. Thank you for having doing. us. It's been a blast. All right. We're really enjoying it. Thank you. Thank you.